Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast. In your week in sports cars episode, we are doing a Saturday morning recording. My dear pal, my co-pilot, my man whose voice, face, backside, frontside, top and bottom. Uh, you get to hear, witness and experience. I don't know. FIWEC, ELMS, Asian Le Mans series has been in your world. You British GT. I mean, you've you've oh, yeah. done it all, called it all. Uh, I don't know what I've done. I've done stuff, but you know, nothing as cool as that. Uh, I am Marshall Pruitt. That is Graham Goodwin, editor of DailySportsCar.com. Yes, that's a new that new version, not .com. .com. That's total dark web. I shouldn't have let that secret out. Um, <laughs> hey, we record the show and we talk about sports cars, and it's informed by you and the questions that you send in each week. And sometimes we just use them straight up. Sometimes we just kind of vibe off of things and talk among ourselves based on the stuff you've sent in. So that's the show. That's what we do. Sometimes it goes more than an hour. Today's is not. Guarantee you. It's too nice of a day. Graham, it's beautiful blue skies. This is kind of my first day off in about a month. So why don't we rock and roll with the show? No, I'm not on crack. I could use some or just some more coffee. I'm a little punchy, a little tired, but hey, that's okay. Uh, we got to say huge thanks as always to you, our dear listeners for supporting the show, sending in your questions now for, what, five-plus years, Graham? I don't know, a long oh, time. Yeah. Uh, Cooper Tires, who support us, they happen to power the road to Indy. Also, amazing folks, automotive chemicals and lubricants produced by the Justice Brothers, winners of the Indy 500, 24 Hours of Daytona, and everything in between with cars they support. They also are great supporters of our show. And then finally, motor racing memorabilia from the fine country, of Canada, torontomotorsports.com, hats, t-shirts, stickers, die casts. Uh, they do, and this has been a huge popular, hugely popular thing, Graham, at IMSA events. They have been doing FAF Motorsports, lumberjack-themed uh, memorabilia uh, activations at the track. So Plaid, the uh, Plaid Porsche, telling you, they are, uh, they are selling everything that uh, FAF is having them make plus also doing a lot of cool stuff trackside with our pal Robert Wickens and some of his merch. So torontomotorsports.com, check them out. Please do. They're good friends. Speaking of good friends, where do we start the show, Graham? Good one. Uh, we're going to start with IMSA uh, this week and good reasons for that. We're just off at IMSA racing weekend what? at Road America and uh, what fun and games that was. And in the, the lead-up to that, of course, we had the now-traditional John Doonan State of the Sport presentation with a whole, as I think you would say, heck of a bunch of stuff, including confirmation, indeed, uh, confirmation of the IMSA calendar for next year. Uh, first question, though, is going to go to Ryan Terpstra. Now, that part of this did feature in State of the Sport, uh, but this is all to do with the revised driver rankings, driver ratings uh, process for the FIA, which has caused just a few ripples and some more to come. Um, and Ryan's question is, he heard a rumor, IMSA wants to destroy GT racing <laughs> in the series. Something about bronze-only GTD and drivers. GTD Pro had all f of five cars of Road America. Please, someone tell me on the fortunes of the GT classes in IMSA. Now, if you're not familiar with what's gone on here... It's the latest attempt by the FIA, um, informed initially 
by a proposal from SRO, which SRO tell us has been signed up to by uh, the ACO and IMSA, yes. which redefines too, by the way, they're uh, indeed. Grand Am. <laughs> um, it redefines uh, the driver rankings and does give, uh, it's fair to say, uh, MP, a much harder definition for bronze and silver going forward. And it's clearly intended to reinforce the AM aspects of those series. But I think I share some of the concerns and others do too. Are there enough bronze drivers to go around? So we have this beautiful dynamic of IMSA following the FIA's decisions on driver ratings also have given themselves latitude. They spoke about it. They've spoken about it on the record saying we aren't going to blindly follow. Uh, We will make any adjustments as we deem necessary. That was the main thing that, that jumped out to me here. Graham, as Rosie jumps over my shoulder, and does she walk on the laptop? No, just in front of the microphone. Nothing like a face full of cat butt at 1019 in the morning. Um, Will they intervene? How, How independent and sovereign might IMSA choose to act in this specific regard? And where this maybe has a little bit of timing and urgency for me, hashtag me personally, we're moving into the GTP era in yep. not too far from now, where, yes, we are aware of one uh, non-factory entrant in the JDC Miller Motorsports program, but by and large, we're talking about a class that is going far more factory, far more all-pro, badass, platinum-rated, titanium-rated, upper echelons, you name it. So, okay, not saying that a JDC Miller Motorsports couldn't have a bronze or a silver in one of their or in a car uh, in a Porsche 963, but that's probably not going to happen. Okay, so that's a pro class where we know there's an option for non-pros to run, but really we think that's going to become even more rare going into 2023 and beyond. We know that in GTD Pro. Again, full bastion of professional racing. Possible, though, for AMs to be in, but eh, that not something we're going to see a whole lot of. So really and truly, just coming back to a future where the pro classes are even more pro and fewer opportunities, we would think, for non-pro rated drivers to find anything or do much of anything, we do have to look at the pro-am classes as where where everything might happen for the the bronze and silver rated drivers to come in and have fun right the gentleman gentlewoman gentle person drivers the the traditional wealthier ones who help fund the operation what kind of harder hardcore restrictions are you placing uh how might you be affecting business knowing that of the five weather tech championship classes two are truly kind of out of the stratosphere in terms of being a place that they might play how might this harsher delineation from the fia be treated by imsa knowing that imsa is enjoying a bit of a a resurgence or growth or you name it right there's a lot of positivity happening now but especially for the future 
where might this muck things up, Graham? And where might IMSA step Ooh. in and say, hey, got, got your email. Thanks. Got the attachment. We opened it and we looked and we saw all these cute ratings adjustments. But what might we do to ensure that we don't scare off some? Um, just give the impression that, hey, uh, we're not going to be as, as friendly as we might have been uh, in terms of, of the AMs and Pro-AM lineups and such um i'm not sure how this plays out at least here in a favorable mm-hmm. way but how much would imsa be willing to stand up and say you know what we kind of like what we have the way we've been doing things and that's what we want to adhere to as much as possible moving forward i i tend to agree i mean on my uh, the, the phone calls i've been taking uh principally from drivers who've uh, been in the silver bracket that this would place very firmly in the gold bracket and we're not talking here about necessarily super silvers we're talking about yep. a whole range of people and it it's going to be an interesting three to six months there's been a lot of people asking me for phone numbers of people at the fia i can tell you that for nothing um to discuss the the realities of this change I've long been a fan, as listeners to uh, Twisk will will remember, of the FIA taking several steps away from this process and looking at it anew. I will admit to being quite surprised with the direction this has taken. And I just say this, this one thing, MP, which is the whole point of this process in the first place was to enable a stable uh, and long living commercial marketplace in pro-am racing. It does seem to me that this puts that at risk. Um, I'm interested to hear how this kind of pans out. SRO have been very quick off the mark with the changes in their class structure. We haven't yet seen what the ACO intend to do, if anything, with their class structure. I think there may be some tweaks to one or two of the classes and what uh, ratings are and what mix of ratings are um, applicable for 2023. But I sincerely hope we're not going to find ourselves in a position where we lose drivers and by attachment teams to the sport for this reason. There are things that needed to be fixed, no doubt about that. But um, I think what's been missed here for me, MP, is I'm not sure the voices of the industry, the professional teams mm. who service these, the, these have been the biggest classes in every championship, which you and I talk about on Twisk. These are the biggest classes around there numerically. I'm not sure those voices have been listened to in enough depth to get to the point we're at today. And I'm very keen to see just exactly how this impacts the plans for some of those teams. I've heard from one or two of them already. Um, they were not thrilled with what they were reading at this point. Um, still things to work through, still things to hear. We've not had, for instance, an ACO race meeting uh, since this announcement was made. And I'm sure there'll be conversations at Barcelona for the LMS and at uh, Fuji for the FIWC on exactly these these matters and i'm sure we'll have storylines developing from both of them you know there's one other thing here to consider as well graham it's maybe i don't know if it's esoteric but i do know that this thought comes to mind every now and then not specific to endurance racing but 
I think of the other series that I cover, IndyCar. And they yeah. have made a lot of positive moves in the last couple of years. Cars were somewhat ugly. They went to newer, prettier bodywork. Not everybody loves the aero screen that they've added, but from a driver safety standpoint, it's never been better, never been higher. Yeah. Um, they've done some things going to some new tracks or just, tr- again, uh, doubling up races here or there, just trying some things where I think across the board, you would say, Hey, you were doing okay before, but you've made a bunch of improvements and it seems like everything's trending in the right direction. Why don't we, and this is the part that's standing out for IMSA. Why don't we clean up some of the other things that were a little messy, suboptimal things that you could pick at so that when we're talking stories, uh, general impressions given to fans and otherwise, there's really not much to uh, to argue over. And that's just what comes to mind here. Hey, IMSA, we all agree, I think, that we're going to a pretty good place. We're going to have these new GTP cars, and we're going to have a bunch of manufacturers, and they're going to spend a bunch of money, and hopefully there's lots of activation and more fans and blah, blah, blah. <sighs> Do you still want us and others and drivers and teams and whatnot in the midst of what folks hope will be a new golden era, barking about the same old nonsense, doesn't that start to be a bit of a conflicting message of, hey, wait a minute, I thought everything was good and new and fresh and vibrant and money and cars. And, uh, but this old thing is still going on. I just, again, I have to wonder if there's anybody looking at things in that wider perspective of if we're doing a, a full renovation to the house, <laughs> Maybe we should also replace some of the leaky, creaky pipes, even if they still work. Like, hey, if you're going to do a full renovation, maybe, you know, clean up the plumbing, to take care of some of those uh, the, those dry spots in the backyard uh, where there's, you know, holes in the grass and just mend a couple uh, uh, areas of the fence. And if you're going to go this far, why not go all the way? This, to me, just seems to fall into that category of, we've been arguing about this since driver ratings emerged and we'll probably be talking about it until they go away. If that ever happens, but boy, this sure doesn't seem like something, uh, they should let become a, a downer and an ongoing negative topic. So speaking of topics, what do you want to cover next brother? Let's have a look. Let's have a quick look here at Michael O'Keefe says, thank you for confirming mid Ohio will no longer be on the IMSA schedule, despite the fact he's gutted. Uh, is IMSA hoping to appeal to the casual race fan moving to Indy and Chicago? Um, are there other racetracks that could be added and replaced uh, from to the calendar in the next three to five years? What do we know about uh, future plans? Laguna Seca is the only one that jumps out is, I would say, most at jeopardy. Um, if the county is willing to continue to pay IMSA to show up. I think it's a roughly a million dollars. I believe they pay as a sanction fee. Uh, if they're, if IMSA is willing to continue to show up in front of almost no people and play to an empty house, um, I guess that's on them. That's the one that continues to stand out as a, a real question mark. And it's not just for IMSA, by the way, it's for IndyCar as well. Um, mm-hmm. There's just a huge... <laughs> This falls into that same item I just mentioned. If we're going next year to Laguna Seca with our GTP cars and, again, some new shiny stuff, 
and indeed the place looks like they forgot to open the gates to let the fans in yet again. And I'm not trying to be mean to my, my home track. Sure. I'm just saying, it, look, I don't. It's a reality. I'm not the one who sells tickets. I'm not the one who promotes it. I just show up and look at it and go, oh, damn. All right. Um, is that something that fits? Big, new, shiny, great, hey, we're on a rise, golden era, but nobody shows up to watch that? That is something that any series would have to say, you know, that doesn't fit the message. We got another one more year to fix it, maybe. And if not, then we're going to go somewhere else. So that's one that I think could go away if fans don't turn out in, in big numbers for next year's new cars. I uh, have heard, and this is probably not, would not shock anybody, but I keep hearing that for the Chicago NASCAR race, where IMSA has not said, unless I missed the message, uh, what nope. classes will be going there. I've heard it will be a GT affair only, uh, and that is WeatherTech GT, not Michelin Pilot Challenge uh, GT4 mobiles, but uh, straight-up GT IMSA's GT3 cars. Now, is that a pro and uh, standard GTD? Is it both uh, GTD classes or just one uh, with GTD Pro-Am, knowing that those numbers tend to be higher than GTD Pro? I don't know, but from what I've heard, uh, expect... GT cars to be the feature component there, not one of IMSA's single make series like a Lamborghini Trofeo or otherwise. Again, I'm I've been rooting for uh, the MX5 Cup cars because that I think would be the best show the whole cool. weekend. But yeah, so I think that's something we should all just expect to be formalized at some point in time. No prototypes at Chicago. Um, okay. The Indy Road Course, Michael. That I'd say that is kind of a two-way attraction point that isn't necessarily based on fans. Uh, Roger Penske owning that uh, that track, obviously owning the uh, uh, Porsche Penske Motorsports team, uh, having a major sports car racing event at IMS certainly is something he has wanted. IMSA has wanted as well, and based on the feedback given to me by IMSA President John Doonan when I spoke with him at the announcement couple of weeks ago he said that the manufacturers have been probably the loudest voice saying hey iconic track let's go there there's been pretty good modernization in some areas of the track graham in terms of hospitality and i don't know if we're going to see a big crowd i'd be very surprised about that but i do believe the hospitality entertainment vendor midway with like you and I, like we all see each year at Daytona, right? Where you have a bunch of manufacturers who do big, big grand displays like you would see at an auto show. I think we're going to see the infield at Indianapolis look like an auto show. So I think there's a lot of other points of attraction here uh, where folks would come away saying, okay, we feel good about that. This, this mm -hmm. looked good. We hopefully entertained a fair amount of folks and I don't know what the audience is going to be, brothers. At five thousand people, ten thousand—I don't know. Uh, but I don't expect giant fan turnout at least year one. But I do think they're going to make themselves look pretty darn good going back to IMS. The question we always get, though, right? Year two, year three, sustainability, right? What do you need? Uh, what do you need in terms of ticket sales, an audience size, and a television rating number for folks to say yes? Let's keep doing this so year one's always going to get a pass year one's 
almost always a disappointment in terms of uh, crowd size, but we'll see if the, the hopes and ambition turns into uh, everything they want it to be. Beyond that, I, I'm struggling to think of any other new tracks that IMSA is really trying to go to or are really courting IMSA. So, yeah, I don't know if we're going to see much. The only real surprise uh, to come out of the schedule announcement was the deletion of Detroit. Mm. And I know that what was explained in the presser was, hey, we're butted up against uh, Lamont test day. And, you know, we, we're this just doesn't work out because now we don't just have GT cars. Uh, wanting to go over and play at Le Mans like we've had for so many years, but now we're going to have, for the first time in a long time, prototypes that can go too. So the uh, the entry list for Detroit might just be rather small due to the new options here uh, for so many entrants in our series. I understand that to be true. Um, heard, can't say if it's a fact, but I, I've heard that that was an informed decision made on IMSA's part, meaning uh, I understand there might have been more manufacturers than expected, Graham, saying, we're, we're not going to be at Detroit. Somewhere you'd go, oh, really? Like, I would just okay. kind of expect you. <laughs> like, wow, that's actually a bit of a surprise. I haven't heard uh, the, the names of the manufacturers, but I did just hear... On, on pretty good authority that, yeah, the decision to not go to Detroit wasn't just simply uh, the, the ongoing clash we've had for many years with, hey, we're racing on Saturday, and then a number of us are sprinting to a private plane <laughs> to get to France to try and uh, get in a car on Sunday. Uh, I've heard that there's actually just some pretty clear, you know, hey, uh, if you were going to count us as potential entrants, for next year's race, uh, yeah, we're probably not going to be there. And the the those mm. kinds of informed messages uh, might have led him so to say, yeah, okay, I don't know if we're going to have enough. We're just going to have enough product uh, to put on track that we would really consider to be a, a proper uh, WeatherTech Championship level event. So therefore, let's send uh, let's look down to the Michelin Pilot Challenge Series class. Uh, and have that become our new uh, Detroit, downtown Detroit, uh, solution for next year. That's a GS-only race, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's see how that one works out. Uh, interesting stuff, by the way. Um, I've got a, a series we've been running on GT3 in the state of play uh, over the last week or so since uh, the Sparta 24. There's a third element of that to come early next week, which talks about performance progression for GT3 since its inception in 2006 and has some interesting things to point out uh, about, uh, amongst other things, the current pace of GT4 against the previous pace of GT3. Let's move forward. Um, quick, Another quick question, by the way, about uh, Indianapolis. Comes from Daniel Summers. Go on. Thanks again, Daniel, for putting these questions together in your usual rapid fashion. Thank you. Um, cut a long story short here. Uh, is there a need to increase lighting on the on the Indy road course? Bearing in mind there's an Into the Night four-hour Michelin Pilot Challenge race on that course and a longer EMSA uh, WeatherTech Sports Car Championship race predicted for the future. Was discussed, did not have a full answer uh, during the press conference there, but it was posed by at least one person. Uh, 
Um, granted, there were actually weren't many people at the press conference, uh, but that's okay. Well, granted, it was a NASCAR and IndyCar weekend, so uh, admittedly, there weren't like tons of sporty car folks on site, but uh, there was some Skypeage going on uh, or Zoomage. Um, it's a known thing, Daniel. They did say, and I did have a little bit of a follow-up afterwards, of do they know the exact solution yet? No. But do they know that that's something they're going to have to look into? Yes. Uh, would it most likely just be rented lighting? Uh, I think that's the direction it would go. The larger question that was asked where they really did not have a question or an answer was, hey, if you do want to include endurance racing on a regular basis and maybe longer races in the future, uh, would you want to do something more permanent in terms of adding lighting? So knowing that Roger Penske told me earlier this year, I think he had a, they set aside an $8 million capital expenditure budget for upgrades at Indianapolis Motor Speedway this year. I don't think there's any money in that budget, but I would not be surprised, Daniel, if there wasn't a light item, line item for 2023 that did have not just rental lights, but possibly installation of some, if not uh, whatever they think might be all that they would need. Excellent. Um, we've got so one more subject with multiple questioners on, and then we're going to take a bit of a grab back. Uh, that question is one we've had before is around, this comes uh, off the road, America weekend for IMSA. Full course cautions in IMSA. And questions from Right Turn Lover, from Daniel Summerskill again, and from Kyle, Murray Kyle, 15. Um, it's a variational theme. Uh, we'll read Carl's question for this one. What would it take for IMSA to discover something along the lines of virtual safety car, full course yellow? It was frustrating to see JDC Miller's successful strategy move last weekend wiped out by an AM driver trying to do donuts on wet grass. It's very similar questions from Right Turn Lover. Uh, the frustration with the process and the length of time that that process uh, takes. Daniel adds... Uh, he knows he likes that uh, it was unlike to have those strict protocols, but having a 25 minute full course yellow to pick up an LMP3 cheese wedge, he says, was a bit much. <sighs> amen, amen, and amen. Y'all are preaching to the choir here. This just falls into my long standing statement where I believe endurance racing actually has nothing to do with racing, but about adherence to policies. So, uh, question i should uh, ask uh, i'm going to see john dunan yeah. next week in monterey i don't know if he's going to okay. want to talk about anything serious because he'll be there for the uh, celebration of the uh, uh of lamar the hundredth the centenary running that's coming up in 23 he'll be there i'll actually i'll i also have i think graham 30 minutes with pierre fion solo do you oh yeah. excellent do, do give him my best not sitting for weeks i'll give him a big <laughs> stinky hug um by the way we should we should say to listeners some exciting stuff coming from that race beating yeah yeah i think there's going to be some yeah i know i'm going to be trying to do a lot of fun stuff as well but uh have some time there with uh Henri pescarolo and i think oh, a wow. few others so yeah it should be a lot of fun um i'll see john there i don't know how much he's going to want to talk about work work or or whatnot but one thing stands out here in terms of Good God, can we fix this? Uh, I'll go back to IndyCar for a second and mention that they, this year, installed the EM marshalling system 
starting in June. And okay. uh, that is the yellow, I shouldn't say, I apologize. That is the uh, square light panel electronically activated system that you see in Formula One, uh, you see in the FIWC, etc. cetera. Um, what we call the in-car marshalling system, correct? There we go. So yeah. IndyCar has adopted this, I believe, first adopter, at least in North America. And they are learning more about it, figuring out some bugs, uh, trying to get the most out of it. I know last weekend I heard on very good authority that there were a couple of light panel failures during the race. And so okay. there was a goal, as I understand it, to use all uh, lighting panels for the 80-lap race and marshalling being done through lights instead of waving flags. And that was not possible due to a couple of light panel failures. So I just mentioned that because new system, you might think it's bulletproof since it's been used elsewhere for many years. But again, new series, figuring out some kinks, getting it up and running. But this is a system that IndyCar has told me once they are ready to sign off and say this is bulletproof, good to go, some situations like we mentioned here, in this case, talking about a P3 car's wedge, um, where could we use this new lighting, uh, I'm sorry, this new marshalling system uh, to get into some uh, Code 60 type stuff, some local yellow, some whatever, however you might want to phrase it based on what series, how could we use this lighting system uh, to then inform our drivers that, hey, from turn six to turn eight, not only is it a yellow, uh, maybe it's a debris, maybe it's a car off, way off the track, uh, but a car off nonetheless we're going to have to tend to. Here is something we've implemented for this specific track that says if you come upon that, you must activate whether it's a pit lane speed limiter button to bring you down to X speed or maybe a separate button that's more of an on-track speed thing. Maybe it's mm -hmm. 10, 20 miles an hour higher, whatever it is. IndyCar is looking at how can we use this more creatively so that with what we think now through electronic means, as you mentioned, uh, onboard alert to drivers as well, uh, how could we use this to do more local yellows? than full course yellows. So just looking at how IndyCar is trying to do this and IndyCar does race with IMSA a couple times a year, I have to hope IMSA would look at investing in this system, having seen it and had its cars not necessarily uh, compete at those tracks with IndyCar and uh, that system being used for them, but at least gotten an up-close look and maybe learned a little bit from one of their, their rivals or, or whatever they, we should call them, uh, and help us get to a place where, oh my gosh, at a four-mile track like Road America, yes, any caution seems like it takes forever, even if it's relatively minor, modest, or, or otherwise not a huge deal. Uh, boy, why are we down for so long? Uh, same thing happens at Sebring. What is that, Graham? 3.7 miles long. I mean, the longer tracks are where we always get the loudest complaints, unjustified complaints, too, of, come on, do we have to go full uh, pit 
stop procedure with all the prototypes first and then the GTs and then the shuffle and reorder because invariably someone's going to be in the wrong place. And all of a sudden, like you've legitimately taken a nap. <laughs> you could pretty yeah. much just plug something into your, you know, hey, Siri. Uh, actually, I shouldn't say that because my phone will <laughs> pop off here. But uh, set an alarm to wake me up in 20 to 25 minutes. I think you could do that almost blindly, Graham, with the full blind belief that it will wake you up and it'll be right, just about the right time to go back to racing. And you go, well, if you're going to schedule a two-hour and 40-minute race and you know that there's multiple opportunities for 10, 15, 20, 25-minute downtimes, like, eh, I don't know if you're giving folks what they're uh, hoping to get. So I can only pray, my brother, that the EM marshalling system, or who knows if there's some other system out there, might be something that IMSA adopts. I will try to remember to ask John about that next week and see if maybe, indeed maybe, they could use a higher technology to reduce the time duration lost under caution. We've got about 10 minutes left on our self-imposed deadline here. Um, I'm going to grab a couple. Um, and if you want to do another couple, uh, maybe we'll pick one fun one to finish with. First, I'm going to grab a crack at here is... Kevin McCormick, who says, are there any updates on the remaining two Porsche 963 privateers? Now, I know you've written about the outstanding IMSA uh, prospects on Racer. Anything more you want to say about that one, Marshall? I have not followed up on that at all. So I probably should. Uh, but no, I got nothing for you, unfortunately. But I do need to reach out to uh, Jerry Hildebrand and see if and where that has progressed, if at all. Okay. But, uh, but we're pretty confident, uh, and I have to tell you, by the way, I've had further endorsement of your story from other sources oh, yeah. uh, oh. that you were absolutely there's, spot on. Yeah, there was never uh, any in terms question of that. when I wrote it. I mean, uh, uh, we can't always reveal our sources or who said what, but yeah, uh, we tend yeah. not to go to print unless we know something. On the outstanding WEC car, um, I will say this much. I think things have By changed. College. I call it <laughs> since Monza. Watch this space for an update on that. I hope next week, by the way, uh, on the uh, on the Van Wall uh, story. Uh, I'm awaiting a call back from the team um, and to put in front of them a story that I've got uh, for imminent release uh, to take their views on what I've been told by another source about the process. Um, but the WEC car. Um, Last update we gave was this mystery team unidentified but known at least in parts to this journalist uh, that car had not the deal had not then been done. I have been told uh, by a single source at the moment uh, that deal has been done, uh, but not with that team. And I'm aware of who it is alleged that deal is with. And again, I'm awaiting that confirmation. I think Toyota. we can. I think we can probably anticipate that if that is correct, there will be announcements soon. Um, and I mean days and weeks, not weeks and months uh, on that front. Lots going on out there. Still, most of it remarkably positive, remarkably positive. So the answer is things are moving forward um, and things are moving forward as well. I'm trying to think, have we had a show since uh, WRT was announced for 2024 and BMW in um uh, in WEC because that I have to say had a pretty remarkable uh, reception out in fandom uh, very positive 
vibes indeed to a further additional manufacturer coming to the WEC. That's one from from me. Let's have a quick look a little bit further down. Uh, Xavier Yares says, what is the current health of national level prototype racing? Good question. IMS is obvious. Knows it's doing all right in Brazil, but unsure how its general health sits. There's not a lot, I think, but a lot of the reason behind that is because there are relatively low cost solutions for prototype racing, particularly on the European continent with Michelin Le Mans Cup, with the Ultimate Cup. Uh, you've got the new German prototype cup for LMP3s, and there's a variety of other race series where small prototypes are welcomed. There are avenues for people to go racing with, in particular, LMP3 machinery, uh, perhaps less so uh, than the LCN cars. But there are uh, a variety of avenues available at relatively small cost. And of course, if you think about the logistics involved here, a European series at a reasonably low uh, entry cost is pretty equivalent to IMSA at the lower entry cost for what was IMSA Prototype Challenge and will be the new VP series uh, next year. So they are pretty well continental series, uh, you know, by attachment. It's fair to say, though, MP, that there's been a number of opportunities or a number of um, number of attempts to get national prototype racing underway. Italy tried, France tried, the UK tried. None of those were successful uh, and I think in the current climate are unlikely to be so for the foreseeable future. As well, by the way, Australia uh, tried and didn't manage either. But for the moment, uh, we've got a number of continental series that are in pretty good health uh, and lots of other places. If you've got a small prototype, you can join a lower level series. So that's the, the overarching answer. couple from you, MP? Sure. Let's see... Uh... So we take things here in the last five or six minutes. Uh, our pal Stathis, uh, Coco, Coco Regiana says, since I'm on vacation in Rhodes. Oh, been there. Lovely. Where is that? It's a Greek island. Well, that would be a great choice for someone with an exceptionally Greek name. Um, says, which race car would you take and use for your family vacation mm. and which driver would you like to spend your vacation with there's only one there's no doubt there's only one is does that this would a person be... who owns a business a purveyor does, does no, this no, person no, have no, an no, emporium no, that yes how did you guess it's it would could only be it could only be the van wall um and there's <laughs> so many reasons so many reasons behind it it's very low mileage I think is for one of them. Um, it's done some endurance testing, but would be ideal, I think, to go um, up and down uh, to the beach. Um, and as for who you go with, of course it would be Christoph. Christoph Bouchou would be the, the chosen man to take that holiday with us. Why? Because he's driven for the team a number of times and therefore is used to dealing with extreme heat. Uh, there's, there's no doubt about it in my mind. He'd be the man for the job to advise the family how to deal with the, the rigours of a Mediter Mediterranean beach resort. That's my answer. What about you, MP? Well, I do love the... Is it the cannibal? No, no, you're, you're, you're spot on, though, with Bouchou. You'd feel safe the entire time. That's oh, yeah. for sure. Uh, unless you made him mad, then you wouldn't feel safe. Uh, who would I choose? I was going to say McNish. 
Uh, you want to go on holiday with Alan Manish? No, because I was thinking about that. And I'm like, I'd rather actually go on holiday with Kelly because, man, I'd get tired I, of Alan so quickly. <laughs> right? Oh, my God. That guy. Ah, the worst. <laughs> worst. Um, who would I want to go? You know... I feel like holiday with Derek Bell would be amazing. Oh, that man's greeted like, uh, Odin that that man's greeted like <laughs> just a God wherever he goes. And he's the nicest man. He would know all the best places to eat. I don't think yes. we'd have to pay for anything. And no. the stories would be amazing. He has an yes. annoying son named Justin. I'm like, just shut up, man. Are, are they related? Oh, God. He claims to be. Like, yeah. I think he plays that. Like, truly, I think the guy's name is, like, you know, Fred. He, he's from, you know, Cincinnati <laughs> or something like that. But anyways, I think Derek would probably be right there. Uh, that would be pretty amazing, I would say, for sure. Um, what vehicle? I mean, if it what. Would it be a Dower, a Yakin Dower 962? Mm. Would I fit in the passenger seat? Probably not. I, You know, he might have to uh, get some uh, some rope and kind of tie me to one of the, the front fenders like a deer that, that uh, got hit on the highway. Um, so that might be where I have to uh, do the oh. ride. But, um, yeah, I think that would uh, be a lot of fun. A very fun tweet, by the way, from mutual friend Jamie O'Leary this week. Um, who found out something this week and repeated it on Twitter, something I didn't know, the team manager for that team in 94 when they took the win. Any idea? No. Uh, current Williams F1 man, Joss Capito. Oh, how fun. How fun. Isn't it? I feel, I feel like I have failed in this episode, by the way, <laughs> Graham, because here we are at nearly Why? whatever amount in, and I have failed to mention that I spent – a decent amount of time on Thursday at my mm -hmm. friend Taz Harvey's race shop. Uh, I bought, right. we bought our Mazda CX nine from Taz at his Mazda dealership, uh, nearby, Ooh. uh, Taz, a, uh, world challenge racer of significant repute and whatnot, uh, spent time at his shop while he was preparing a vehicle for next week's, uh, roller. Oh, is that like, it was a Kudzu I saw. The Kudzu DLM 1996 wow. uh, AMPM Japan sponsored uh, four rotor machine. Yes, driven by Jim Downing, Yojiro Tarada, and good old the man who ice in his veins, Frank Freon. Um, wow. It was so cool seeing that because I hadn't seen that one before. He bought two cars from Downing. He bought a, mm -hmm. I forget whether it's a 99 or 2000 DLY which was the last four-rotor-powered prototype uh, built, uh, and he brought that to last year's uh, Monterey Reunion. That was a Grand Am machine, uh, and it looks like ass, but it does have a four-rotor <laughs> in the back, so that's fine. The, uh, the DLM, I would say, definitely looks uh, a lot better. So was there, was helping him with a couple of... Uh, this is kind of fun. Like, truly, uh, I was having to drop off uh, the... 209 mile uh my two yeah two hundred ten thousand mile now uh Acura wow. integra 2006 integra i bought that from taz as well and is having some elect electrical issues so uh dropped that off at the dealership 
kind enough to uh, give me a loaner vehicle. And Taz texts me. He's like, hey, come on by the shop. So I drove up to the shop, uh, walked in, and he's got everything there. He's got all kinds of amazing stuff. Uh, Datsun 240Z racers, like original back in the day, one that did the Carrera Mech. Uh, uh, Carrera Mexico event. Uh, did I see an Did I see an Integra on the ramp? I think I did. Yeah, he's got two there. Uh, Carrera Pan America, I should say. Apologize. Um, all kinds of great stuff. Motorcycles like you've never seen. I'm not a motorcycle guy, but I was able to go. Whoa, those are cool and old and, and studly. Um, but yeah, walked in uh, while they were uh, trying to get setup going on the old Kudzu, and uh, it was fun to just walk in and have a bunch of questions kind of thrown at me by Taz. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. We need to genuinely take the springs off the back and put them up front and take the front strings and put them at springs and put them at the back. And we need to do some of this with preload and this, that, and the other, because he was talking about testing the car recently at uh, Sears Point or Sonoma Raceway. And it had a mild handling problem, Graham, where he would turn the steering wheel and the car mm-hmm. would not necessarily turn. So I'm like, yeah, okay, ah. we're, we're going to do some different things here. So it was fun to truly <laughs> just walk into a buddy's shop, and all of a sudden, within a minute, I'm giving, oh, no, let's do some setup changes on the on this awesome prototype. So anyways, going to see that car, do more about it uh, here coming up um, next week. And one thing I'm going to do, for anybody who cares, is normally I do tons and tons of in-car uh, stuff mm-hmm. at the reunion every year. Still going to do some, but I'm actually going to change up my production model and going to do more little video vignettes. Walk around as many cars as I can that I really like or think are interesting and just do little technical tours if I can get any interesting provenance uh, about the vehicles from whomever. If it won this, it did that. Uh, and just do two, three, four, whatever minute. Not too long, but just, okay. hey, let me show you this and talk about it and get up real close and show you the things about it that are unique. And I got a list from my friend Ellen, who's a, a pretty big person involved with a lot of vintage racing events uh, out here. And she sent me the list of all of the Le Mans cars that will be in the 100th, uh, the centenary exhibit. And let me just read this because I think folks might enjoy. Uh, So there are 48 cars in total that will be in the exhibit. 13 overall winners from Le Mans. Wow. 19 class winners and then 16 more that participated. So, uh, 1929, uh, Bentley overall winner is the first one on the list. 1931 Alfa Romeo, 8C 2300 Spider overall winner. 1938 overall winning Delahaye is there. Then we just start getting into a lot of fun. Uh, Aston DB4 GT Zagato from 19. 19- 49 Allard's uh, two different uh, Cadillac, the uh, Le Monstres will be there. Uh, 1950 Porsche uh, 356 slash two Mercedes W194 from 1952. And you keep working up the list. You start getting into, you know, the Porsche 718 RSK, uh, Ferrari, Ferraris, obviously of the 250 and other varieties. Uh, GT40, as we would expect, 
uh, 60, uh, the, the actual 1966 race winning, the original, not jealous, not jealous. (laughs) Uh, so we have the 64 overall winning Ferrari 250 LM, uh, the first, again, uh, the, the first Ford GT 40 winner at Le Mans from 66 will be there. The one I'm looking forward to seeing that I just haven't seen in a little while, 1967 Chaparral 2F. Wow. Uh, a couple more GT40s, Porsche 908s, 917s, uh, 73 BMW CSL uh, class winners. Uh, and then let me just get to the last little stretch here, which should be fun. So in the, quote, modern era, we will have a 1975 Alpine Renault A441-3. <laughs> Uh, 79 overall winning Porsche 935 K3. Uh, two of the ugliest prototypes I've ever seen, but they're so ugly. They're almost cute. Uh, both Mazda Lola T616s, the class winners from 1984 will be there. Uh, overall winner Porsche 962 from 1985. And then we get into some more of, uh, newer stuff. Uh, Panos LMP Roadster S from 1999. Uh, Corvette C5R from 2003. Uh, overall winner, the 2005 Audi uh, R8 LMP1. And then from there, what do we have? Porsche R Spider, a couple Porsche 911s. Uh, I don't believe it's running. I don't believe there's any on track uh, for this, but uh, a certain 2010 Peugeot 908 HDI. Oh, David yeah. David Porter's yeah. yeah. So I haven't seen that on the entry list in terms of going round, but it'll at least be on display. Then the uh, last, the, the, the lapping groups, I think, go as far as 2005. Yeah. So the uh, last two on the list, the 2012 Le Mans spec Delta Wing. Uh, wow. Interesting little story there of Danny Panos. Um, is it Danny or Donnie? I always forget. I think it's Danny. Danny. Um, uh, he was communicating with uh, my friend Ellen, talking about, yeah, we don't think we're going to be able to make it a runner, but we are going to specifically reassemble that car in uh, what should, I again, I hope, uh, is the full black livery with the, uh, the white uh, sponsor logos and whatnot. But yeah, that original 2012 Delta Wing, and then uh, going to close with a class-winning 2016 Ford GT. Wow. Uh, yeah, so the uh, Bourdais. Not jealous. Uh, hand, and why am I forgetting who the third member of that team was? Uh, those who won uh, the class on the 50th anniversary. So, anyways, lots of great well, stuff. Great stuff. I think that's a point at which we'll put a wrap on this one. Uh, not because I'm not jealous. I'm supremely jealous. Uh, but because we're running out of time for you and for me. Uh, time for dinner off at a family weekend this weekend having hacksawed open the filling cap of my uh errant audi last night thank you very much audi for having a, a filler cap mechanism when it fails it fails locked um this has been the weekend sports cars we're going to say thank you once again to uh our beloved sponsors at cooper tires at the justice brothers and at torontomotorsports.com we'll say thank you again to daniel summerskill and to everybody uh, that's uh, putting questions of this week's show and you continue to do so thank you so much thanks to you Marshall Pruitt for uh, giving up time again in your busy weekend uh, it's been a pleasure as always to be a part of this one this has been the Week in Sports Cars part of the Marshall Pruitt podcast and we will speak to you again next week